You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. This week, as you might suspect, I've been out of the office, still recovering from COVID, and I had chosen to preach on this passage from Luke's Gospel several weeks ago. And because I'm still really fatigued and suffering from COVID, I searched in my records for a previous sermon on this very, very familiar story, thinking I could just update it and share it with you. But I couldn't find one in my files. And now I do preach summer sermon series often, and so I do usually take a break from the lectionary. So it's not completely surprising that I might have skipped over this one. But even though I've never preached on this text, as far as I can tell, I have struggled with this story for a long time and what it might mean in my life. And each time I started to write a sermon this week, I soon found that I disagreed with what I was writing. And so what I'd like to do instead of preaching a sermon today is walk us through the process of how not to preach a sermon. And let's see where we end up. We can begin with the story itself. There are just a few details in Luke's gospel, and everyone from the translators of the Greek text to the interpreters down through the centuries just can't seem to resist the temptation to add flourishes of their own that aren't in the Greek text. The first character is named Martha. She lives in a certain village, we're told. The village itself is left unnamed, and she welcomes Jesus. Now, some translations add the phrase, into her home, but those words are not in the Greek text. In fact, if you look in your pew Bibles, which are the New Revised Standard Version, they include that phrase, into her home. But if you check the most recent updated edition of the New Revised Standard Version, it now omits that phrase because it's not in the Greek text. We're only told in the Greek that she welcomes Jesus. And we're also told that she is distracted by her many tasks, but there is no list of what those tasks might mean. The Greek phrase here is polon diakonon or much serving. And that word diakonon may sound familiar to you. It's the root word for what will become deacon. And in Luke's gospel and in his follow-up volume, the book of Acts, it refers primarily to ministry, often with the connotation of going between or on behalf of. 
So Martha comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? Tell her then to help me. And here again in Martha's words to Jesus is that do all the work is also the word diakonin, that serving ministry in Luke's gospel. Now let's stop for a moment and notice what is not in this story. Housework. For centuries, the story has been interpreted that Martha was distracted by housework. But her house is not in the text, and the word is much serving, which for the most part in Luke and Acts has a ministerial connotation. So hold on to those ideas for a moment. The second character in the story is named Mary, and she's identified as the sister of Martha. Notice that Mary speaks not a word of dialogue in this story, but is described only as sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he is saying. She sits in a position of learning. In Acts, Paul uses the same phrase to describe himself as a disciple of the teacher Gamaliel. And in addition, it may be helpful for us to know that the word translated as hearing or listening in our reading today is used earlier in the same chapter of Luke's gospel as an antonym to rejecting the disciples on their missionary journeys. So what we have here so far is Martha welcoming Jesus and Mary receiving Jesus as well. The third character in the story is Jesus. He enters a certain village and is welcomed in by Martha and received by Mary. And this echoes a pattern from earlier in this chapter in Luke's gospel. There at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70 disciples in pairs. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Out to the villages ahead of him. And whenever they are welcomed into a town, Jesus tells them to share peace with those who welcome them and the news that the kingdom of God has come near. So Mary welcomes Jesus as those villages have welcomed the pairs of disciples before him. It seems that Jesus is speaking in the story, given that we have Mary sitting at his feet listening, but we're not given any details. If Jesus is following his own pattern for these visits, he's going to be sharing the peace and he's going to be sharing the good news of God's realm. And then Martha comes to Jesus with a request that he tell her sister to help her. And Jesus responds to that request. He calls her by name twice, Martha, Martha. And then he says, you are worried and distracted by many things. The word translated as distracted appears in the New Testament only once. And it, it has this connotation of an uproar or a feeling of alarm is being raised. So perhaps we might think of her as more agitated than just distracted. And then Jesus goes on to say, but few things are needed, indeed only one. And here is where it's very helpful to be able to read the Greek. Because some early manuscripts say only one thing is needed. And other manuscripts 
from that early time period have a longer reading that says few things are needed, indeed only one. And that seems to soften Jesus's words to Mary. If you were to open your pew Bibles this morning, you would read that the text says there is need of only one thing. But if you were to check the most recent version of the New Revised Standard Version, they have changed it to what I read just a few minutes ago, but few things are needed, indeed only one. When you've got a variety of manuscripts saying different things, it makes it more difficult to interpret what Jesus is saying. And he concludes his words with this. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. I find the story of the two sisters, Martha and Mary, often functions as a Rorschach test for us, the hearers. We bring to this story a lot of presuppositions and feelings and stories that we have heard or sermons we have heard about this passage. Do we see ourselves in the character of Mary, the one who sits at Jesus' feet listening to his teachings? This, this sounds like a very affirmation of who we are. But what if we find ourselves reflected in Martha's story instead, who's, who seems to be distracted by her many tasks? Are we being affirmed or being called out in this story? I feel like it pulls us to choose between one or the other sister, and I'm not comfortable doing that, and I struggled with that as I tried to write a sermon today. <clears throat> the writer and theologian Dorothy Searle, reflecting on this story, wrote, I remembered my childhood. In our Lutheran church in a suburb of Cologne, there was a stained glass window with the legend, only one thing is needful. And there sat Mary at Jesus' feet, tender, delicate of limb, humble of mien, leaning on the table, feet apart, a mixing bowl in her hand stood Martha, and her other hand lifted in reproach, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Searle goes on to say, I remember that I could not stand that story. Searle's response is not uncommon. Often the passage is interpreted in such a way that the sisters are at odds with one another. It's a rivalry of sorts, with Mary receiving a word of blessing and Martha those words of approach. So how do we find meaning in this familiar story? I think I'm reluctant to preach on the text because it seems the meaning of it is so elusive. And so what I'd like to do instead is look at it through the different ways in which Christians have approached interpreting this passage, dig into it a little bit with its literary context, and then leave the story open for us to wrestle with rather than come to a conclusion. And perhaps by the time we're through this, maybe you will have found an interpretation that's persuasive for you. The early church often found this story as an allegory of sorts and discovered within it two archetypes of Mary and Martha. The church father, Origen, in the third century, in a third century sermon he writes on the passage, paints Mary as the example of the contemplative life, the life of prayer and reflection. 
And Martha, on the other hand, he sees as a figure encompassing the active life. He doesn't, however, disregard Martha's work. He calls it, quote, a very holy service. But he lifts up Mary as an example of truly simple and unified contemplation. And this storyline follows through with Augustine, who carries on this interpretation. And he also sees Mary's action as the more preferable of the two, although Augustine writes that Martha, quote, has not chosen a bad part, but she, that is Mary, a better. The Lord then did not blame Martha's work, but distinguish between their services, he went on to write. He also suggested that Martha and Mary both represent the church in some way. Martha, he says, represents the present church, which receives the Lord into her heart. Mary, on the other hand, represents the future church, that time in which all of us will delight in wisdom alone. And in one of his sermons, he suggests that in Martha was the image of things present, and in Mary, the things to come. What Martha was doing, that we are now, he says. What Mary was doing, that we hope for. Let us do the first well that we may have the second fully. So as you see in these early examples, the story's lifted from any historical setting and it's transformed into an allegory for the life of a disciple or even the life of the church which may lead us to ask the question, well, is that what this story is? Is it an allegory for all time? Is it outside of a particular setting, people, and place? Or is it, as the 5th century church father John Chrysostom suggests, that it's a story for a particular moment? He suggests that Jesus does not praise Mary for her contemplative life, but rather for her knowledge of what the time is that she is in. He suggests that Mary recognizes that this is a kairos moment, one of those pregnant moments with heavy with meaning, as opposed to a chronos, a time, a clock moment. Likewise, Christendom argues that Jesus doesn't reprove Martha for her active hospitality. Rather, it's her concern for what he calls peripheral matters that he thinks is awry. The Lord is in Mary's presence, proclaiming the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And that, he argues, is the time to stop, stop whatever you're doing, and listen. Later on in the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas would see these two sisters not in competition, but in relationship with one another. And so for Aquinas, the active life, he wrote, was more the servant than the mistress of the contemplative. Spoken like a true Dominican friar, I think, although he would go on to suggest that Mary must also learn from Martha's service. He would write, it is a greater thing to give light than simply have light. And in the same way, it is a greater thing to pass on to others what you have contemplated rather than just contemplate. The Protestant reformers 
reacted against the understanding of these two sisters as op opposing polarities of contemplation and action. John Calvin tells us that the problem with Martha, he writes this in the 16th century, is that she, quote, goes too far and is extravagant, whereas Christ preferred frugality and moderate meals so that the godly housewife should not be put to a lot of work. He seems to be reading just a little bit into the text. He goes on to write that Martha thought she was in the right in all this bustling activity and so despised her sister for her godly desire to learn. Notice there's some themes coming out in his writing that are not in the text. But the virtues, those Protestant virtues of thrift and work are very deeply reflected in his analysis. He takes this short story with just a few details and not one mention of housework or meals and manages to weave in his own virtues and stereotypes of gender roles and relationships into his interpretation. It's easy to be hard on Calvin. I want to be hard on Calvin, but it's difficult for us to read the story without bringing our own presuppositions to it. Modern scholarship has struggled with this passage as well. Is Jesus lifting up Mary's right to study at his feet, just as male disciples do? Ben Witherington is one such scholar who argues that we can read in Jesus's reply to Martha, not a devaluing of Martha's work, even her traditional housework, but as an opening up of the role of disciples to women as the good portion. And this may be an important counterpoint, but we have to be mindful that while rabbinic tradition did not encourage the teaching of girls and women, this was not a uniform practice in the first century Judaism, and we shouldn't set Judaism up over against Jesus as some liberator of women, because that's not fair to first century Judaism. It could be that the story is even more troubling, though. Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza points out a very discouraging detail in Luke's story, that Jesus lifts up the role of a woman who is silent and passive as a recipient of instruction. Martha, on the other hand, is vocal, she speaks up for herself. She's an active character in the story. And Luke describes her as being preoccupied with much serving. That Greek word diakonai by Luke's day was most certainly not associated, as we talked about before, with housework, but with ministry. So could Luke actually be using this story to say Martha is being reprimanded for her active ministry and Mary for her silent and passive receiving of instruction. It's tricky, isn't it? Fred Craddock summarizes our interpretive dilemma this way. He says, if we censure Martha too harshly, she may abandon serving altogether. And if we commend Mary too profusely, she may just sit there forever. So what's a biblical reader to do? Now, I've just given you a short summary of many different takes on this passage. And as you can see, I have not offered you a sermon today, but more of a reception history of the text. 
And I want to resist offering a nice, tidy summary of what this passage must mean. What I'd like to do instead is call your attention to the cover of our bulletin. And if you're watching online, the link to the bulletin is available in the, in the comments section. The cover of our bulletin has a painting from the 17th century painter Johannes Vermeer. And in this painting, we find the three, Mary, Martha, and Jesus, in a moment of encounter. Martha is offering a basket of bread. Mary is seated at Jesus' feet. And Jesus, you may notice, is balanced between the two women. His gaze is resting on Martha, but his hand is gesturing openly and gently at Mary. There doesn't seem to be any tension in this painting, as in other depictions of this story. Uh, there's no depiction of rivalry or antagonism between the two sisters. There doesn't even seem to be a frustration on the part of Jesus. Rather, we see Jesus is in the middle of a double action of looking at Martha and pointing at Mary. And in doing so, what Jesus is, seems to be doing is drawing those two sisters closer together with both of them focused not on the other, what the other is doing or not doing, but on the person of Jesus. Perhaps the resolution of the story will never be found in the telling of it or in the preaching of it, but maybe instead in the living of this story. In some ways, this story is a continuation of Jesus' answer to the question posed by the lawyer earlier in the chapter, which I read this morning, when the lawyer asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus elicits an answer from the lawyer who says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer's not quite sure to, what to do with that answer and so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which is certainly a story of the active life, of the Samaritan who crosses over and who cares for the wounded man on the side of the road, who takes him to a hotel to stay, to rest, and to recover. And then Luke gives us this story. This story of Mary and Martha and Jesus, with all of its confusion and its tension, to say this is what it means to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself. May we, like Mary and like Martha, seek the better part. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. 
To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.